On the show today, Rich and I discuss the 50th anniversary of The Godfather, and Rich has a perfect cocktail to drink while you watch this all-time classic. I'm your host, Brad Jackson, and you're listening to the March 14th, 2022 edition of Coffee and Koshan. So, Rich, this is the 50th anniversary, 2022, of one of the all-time classic movies, something I love to watch on a regular basis. That's The Godfather. Um, this is uh, just... <laughs> I I can't think of, like, a more manly movie. Like, when you think of, like, hey, let's watch a dude's movie, it's it's Godfather, you know? Or, or like, maybe, like, Saving Private Ryan, which I watched recently. Um but uh, this is just one of those movies that I absolutely love. It's a near-perfect film. The cast is incredible. Um, it's something that influenced an entire genre of uh, movies uh, for a, a solid 50-plus years after its uh, release. It is the quintessential gangster movie. This is one of my favorites. What are your thoughts? It's just such a fantastic movie. The scope of it, the cinematography, which was considered too dark at the time, uh, which was designed to, to show how shady the family, the Corleone family was. It's I was rewatching it last night. I, I honestly did not make it all the way through because of a time change. I needed to go to bed. But just looking at it and even though it's 50 years old, it could almost have been made today. Well, it couldn't have been made today because it's so expansive, but it's just a, a for such a dark story, it's such a beautifully done film. It really is, and you really see that from the very, very beginning of the movie. You know, this movie opens up um, at uh, the Godfather's uh, uh, daughter's wedding on his uh, expansive estate, um, and the the colors are gorgeous, and you get that, What you know, you're, you're talking about that sort of dark cinematography you get that sort of dark tone um when he's in the office having discussions with people and you know they're all coming to to kiss the ring of the godfather and then uh meanwhile outside is the wedding and it's it's bright it's sunny it has all these uh beautiful wedding colors you know there's flowers there's people singing uh, there's people in uh expensive uh clothes and and it it's sort of it's that dichotomy you go back and forth between um, those interior shots of uh, the Godfather meeting with people, and then the exterior shots of the wedding. Um, but this is this is a movie that has it's so much to like. Whether it's the soundtrack, it's the the cinematography, it's the cast, it's the script. Um, there is so much to love about this film. When you look at uh, that incredible cast. That incredible cast, a cast of people who have all gone on to do huge, wonderful things, um, a cast that included great people at the time. Uh, who is who for you is the defining actor of this movie? Well, I, I've got to go with the easy answer here with Al Pacino, who whose evolution we see throughout the film. He starts off. He's obviously beloved by his father, the, the favored son, but he's also the son who's outside of the family. He's the son who has the chance to bring legitimacy to the Corleone family. And 
as he evolves and we get to the the famous scene in, in the diner, the restaurant where he kills the two people, you see this whole evolution and the studio did not want Pacino. Francis Ford Coppola right. had to really go to bat to get him and, and De Niro uh, auditioned, but he was seen as too dark. And I'm forgetting the other actors who were, who were, uh, considered for the role, but to imagine anyone else but Al Pacino in this role is just, it's impossible to to think that that was a consideration at the time. So what, what about you? Who's your person in The Godfather? Well, I have to agree with you. I think Pacino is amazing. And what makes Pacino so great um, is, is his turn as a character. I mean, he starts off, as you mentioned, as the war hero's son, right? He's the one who goes off to World War II, um, he comes back with all these medals, all these stories. Um, he's the one that they want to be legitimate in the family. And he's he's seen as this sort of upstanding citizen, um, uh, World War II hero, etc. And then because of the events of the film, he ends up running the family. And he does so in such a brutal fashion <laughs> that it's that. It's that turn of character that is so amazing. There was a recent article in the New York Times about Pacino in this role, and he was talking about how he had to come to grips with it um, because, as you mentioned at the time, he was he was not the studio's choice for this film. Francis Ford Coppola went to bat for him. Um, Pacino, he had seen Pacino in, like, you know, an off-off-Broadway sort of thing and um, uh, wanted him for the role, and... You know, lo and behold, this is still 50 years later, his defining role, the defining role of his career. When everyone thinks of Al Pacino, they immediately think of The Godfather. And um, he just he plays this so well. There's that scene, of course, that you mentioned where, where he, he kills the cop in the restaurant. And he goes into the bathroom and he gets the gun that has been pre-placed on the toilet and uh, he has it down by his side and he comes in the comes back in the uh, dining room and he just picks it up and he just shoots the cop straight in the face. Just boom. And then hits the other guy. Boom. And then he just drops it and walks. And it's that moment where you like you think like, wow, like this is a powerful man playing a powerful role. Um, and this is just. It's it's the peak of his career. I hate to say that because he's had a wonderful career of fifty plus years afterwards. But um, it is it is amazing to see him in that role. Just how good he is, which is funny because the cast is full of amazing people. You have Marlon Brando, you have James Caan, you have Diane Keaton, you have Robert Duvall. I mean, the cast is packed, and he really by the end of that movie he dominates it. He sold it so well. It didn't seem as much like acting, which I, I realize that is the the purpose of acting, but a, 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 something not everyone pulls off. But you really see the transition, and that that restaurant scene is crucial to that. It, once you get to the end of the movie, it, it it's obvious that Michael is the only one who could take over the family. Sonny's too hot headed, Fredo is too dim, and. Uh, and uh, now I'm just having a brain fart. Uh, Duvall's character uh, is he's the, Tom, Tom Hagen. Yep. The lawyer. All right, all right. And Tom Hagen is the lawyer. He's not going to and he's not actually part of the family. He's adopted. So it 
it becomes evident that Michael was the only one who could take over the family, but he played the character so mellow and almost meek up to that point, up to that pivotal moment when, and it, it really starts before that scene when he makes the call. The rest of the family is wanting to be a little more measured about their response to the the other mafioso and the police officer's offenses. And Michael is the one who says, no, we've got to go in blasting. We've got to do this. This is going to put the other five families against us. There's going to be heat. I'm going to have to leave the country for a while. And it's it, it, just a, a brilliant, brilliant display from a young actor uh, coming in and Again, pulling off the role of his career right then and there. Well, and, and my other favorite scene with him, uh, toward the end of the movie when he settles the the debt with all the other five families and he just he wipes them out. Um, and uh, you have, again, it's this sort of uh, two sides of the same coin thing. You see him in church as the literal godfather to um, his sister's baby, right? And uh, it's the whole baptism ceremony. And uh, he's he's renouncing the devil and all this sort of stuff. And meanwhile, all his goons are out destroying, (laughs) utterly murdering uh, the rest of the five families in New York and settling scores, selling all the scores. Um, And he just wipes them out. And uh, it's that it's the great way that Coppola structured that scene where you see him in the church and then it cuts to them cutting him to pieces, cutting those guys to pieces and then back at him in the church renouncing Satan and then them, you know, killing another gangster. And it goes back and forth like that. And that's why this movie is so well structured. Um, It's just it's a beautiful film. And still, 50 years later, it's one that you can sit down and just just enjoy every minute of it. Indeed. And uh, an interesting part about some of those gangland sequences, I was reading about it. So George Lucas owed Francis Ford Coppola a favor, and I don't remember exactly what it was for, but so that the To the Mattresses montage, Lucas did that, and he's uncredited, and he actually pulled a lot of footage from real footage of gangland violence to put that sequence together. There's so many other interesting things to the movie that going into that, you know, the opening sequence with at the daughter's wedding, when the Godfather is in his office with the cat, that was just an alley cat that Coppola found around the studio and it took a liking to Brando. And so it sits in his lap during this scene and it purred so loudly that it ended up having to be dubbed. He had to redub some of his dialogue to overcome this cat and also Brando didn't want to memorize his lines. He thought right. that it added more authenticity to use cue cards. So there's cue cards everywhere, including sometimes placed on other actors off screen because the the delivery that he gave when he was reading them fresh, he felt was the most authentic way to deliver those lines. Yeah, and, and that's, that's another interesting thing to think about here is just uh, Marlon Brando – was Marlon Brando when he did this movie, right? I mean, like, if you if you spend any time sitting down watching Turner Classic movies on the weekend, like I like to do sometimes, you're going to come across Marlon Brando movies from uh, from that era, and he's Marlon fucking Brando, right? I mean, um, he was he was the big fish in this movie, and what's so fascinating about it is 
this movie is obviously the, the story of the transition from one godfather to another. Um, but it's it's the way that that Marlon Brando and Al Pacino both take their roles and uh, tell that story that makes this such an incredible film. And it's interesting because uh, you mentioned that the, the cat purring on his lap thing. That's obviously been uh, spoofed in in dozens of movies since then. Um including the uh what's the the Michael Myers uh spy movie Austin Powers, Austin Powers yes thank you um uh and, and it's just it's one of those things where this movie has so much influence and has done it is it is such an epic uh piece of cinema that everyone wants a piece of it and so um it it its influence is pulled in and all these different sort of things um but before we move on to the cocktail I, I want to ask you one thing there are a lot of people who say that Godfather 2 is uh, like Empire Strikes Back, one of the few examples of a sequel that is better than the original. I love Godfather 2. I love, again, the sort of dual story. You're telling the story about um, how uh, Vito Corleone became Vito Corleone. Um, but I actually think I love the first Godfather more um, just I don't know. It's something about this movie is better to me. What's your What's your thought on the sequel? Well, Godfather Two is a fantastic story, and, and to your point, we really get to find out how Vito Corleone became Vito Corleone. Without the original Godfather, there is no Godfather Two, and I realize the same could be said about Empire Strikes Back, but it's it's just not comparable. Uh, just the the skill and execution and the way Coppola and those the cast pulled us in to Godfather 1. We take it for granted that all these things that we know or think we know because of that movie, but we had to learn it first. We had to be pulled in. So I'm with you uh, on Godfather being superior to the Godfather 2, which is not to take away from the Godfather 2. It's just there those movies are that spectacular that you know six one way half dozen the other but my my six one way goes more towards the godfather okay uh, we we weren't planning on this but sort of quick poll here um sequels that are better than the original um okay we we just discussed godfather versus godfather 2 i i'm a i'm a big believer that empire is better than the original um uh are you a believer that uh, Toy Story 2 is better than Toy Story 1? I do like Toy Story 2 better than Toy Story. I think that sequence, uh, that series almost got better with each subsequent film. Uh, just the way it took us through the story. Uh, not high cinema. As much as I love Vacation, I've actually been watching Vacation lately because we're getting ready to do a Disney road trip. I'm partial to Christmas Vacation. Yep. See, exactly. That's well. That's the next one I was going to get to. I actually think Christmas. I love. I love the original Vacation, but I think Christmas Vacation is practically perfect. I mean, it's it's just a great film. Yes, I mean it's ridiculous, but it's it's a documentary, as we've discussed before. <laughs> yes, we have. It's, 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 it's not a comedy. All right, let's uh, let's talk about what to drink. While watching The Godfather. Now, there is a Godfather cocktail. Um, you did a, a modified version of that because uh, why do what you what is is around when you can come up with something on your own, which is sort of our motto on this show. So um, when you sat down to come up with a drink to watch for this movie, describe it for us. What is it? 
So there is, as you said, a cocktail called the Godfather. It's the proportions vary depending on which recipe you look at, but it's a mixture of scotch, preferably blended, and amaretto. Now, I did not have any blended scotch, nor did I have any amaretto around the house. And this is the second time I've needed amaretto recently. Uh, my mom wanted an amaretto sour over Christmas, and I didn't have it. So I guess the universe is telling me Get some that amaretto. I need to go buy some amaretto. <laughs> but I did not have it. But what I did have was some single malt scotch and some Luxardo maraschino liqueur. Now, despite the name... The Luxardo Maraschino is not cherry flavored at all. It does have more of a nutty flavor, and Amaretto is a nutty liqueur. So I tried one and a half ounces of scotch to a half ounce of the Luxardo, and it was pretty good, but it, it was lacking a little something. So to that, I added a couple of drops, not just a splash, not even a teaspoon of simple syrup, and that rounded it out some gave it a softer, almost more dessert-like quality where you have the smokiness of the scotch, the subtle sweetness and nuttiness of the Luxardo, the little added sweetness of the simple syrup. At this point, it's a, a fine drink. It's one that would have worked. But I was more at the point in the evening where I was craving refreshing more than a, you know, a really heavier sipper. And I happened to have a remaining Meyer lemon from the last time I bought these things that was still good around. So I added some fresh squeezed Meyer lemon to this and it took on more of a, a sour quality, but not the full sweet traditional whiskey sour. So you could go either way. You can stop at the simple syrup. You can stop with the lemon. But being the situation, I'm going to call this riff on the Godfather that necessity is the godfather of invention. So don't be afraid to get into your bar and experiment. I love that. I love that. And that sounds like a great drink. I'm going to have to make one of those tonight um, after the kids go to bed. That sounds that sounds right up my alley. Um, anyway, Rich, thanks again. Always a pleasure having you here. Hey, fantastic. Always enjoy talking to you, Brad. 